Second John verses 12 and 13. It's our focus for this morning. And it says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Okay. Where has John come from in this presentation so far, in this letter so far? Because that's helpful for us to keep in mind, right? What has been said leading up to this point? Because we might think that's just the close of the letter, right? What, what is he saying and just as he closes, as he uh, finishes up talking with them? Well, just remember what he's said so far. John's writing to a local congregation somewhere in Asia Minor. That is to the elect lady and her children. He loves them in truth. Remember that. He loves them in truth, and so do all the children of God. So remember he said, I love you, but not only I, but all who love the truth. All who are God's children love you. And then he says, this has been a great cause of rejoicing to hear that some of your children are actually walking in the truth. And, and uh, we talked about that quite a bit, didn't we? What it means to walk in the truth. And John found great encouragement to his heart, great cause for rejoicing that some of them were walking in the truth. He didn't say, I heard that all of you were walking in the truth. That would be great joy. Uh, but he said, I, even some of you are, and that gives me great joy. So that's good. But then he gets to his main point, doesn't he? He warns them against the deceivers. This is ultimately John's reason for writing. Now, as he writes to them to warn them about the deceivers, he's telling them other very important truths as well. So we don't diminish those, but he tells them uh, in this very short letter that he loves them. He rejoices at the fact that they're walking in the truth. All God's children love them. All this is very good. But he says, now, knowing all this is true, I, I have something very important to tell you. That is, I want to warn you against those who would deceive you. And I want you to be protected. And I want you to watch out, right? Beware. Watch out. Look out. Look out for who? For yourself in being deceived by them. Watch for yourself. Watch out yourself that you aren't tempted by them, that you aren't led astray by them. Be careful of your own thoughts. Be careful of your own actions. Be careful what you're doing, how you're behaving, who you're listening to. Be careful that these deceivers don't lead you down a path where you shouldn't go. He warns them against associating with those deceivers, even helping them on their way as we looked at last time, right? So what is he saying in this last little portion here as he's closing? I have much to write to you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink. He admits, doesn't he, that there's a lot that he wants to say to them. Uh, I feel that. Uh, I feel that there's a lot that I want to say. And for your sake, I limit myself, right? There's a lot that I want to say, but you know what? Hey, we gathered here for a particular purpose and... Uh, don't want it to overload you. So let's get to the point. What's most important? Let's talk about very important things together as we're gathered together. But I feel that. He has so much he wants to say to them. Why does he have so much that he wants to say to them? Because he loves them. Do you see that connection? If he didn't love them, he wouldn't have a lot to say to them unless he just loved himself so much that he loved to hear himself talk, 
right? He loved to, you know, I guess, hear himself right. I don't know, watch himself right. But he's saying, I, I have a lot to say to you, and it's because I care so much about you that I have a lot to say. Why? Because I want you to be walking in the truth, because I want you to avoid the deceptions of the deceivers, because I want you to be obedient to our calling. So I have a lot to say, but these things were just most important for right now. Basically, here's the time-sensitive information that you need to know. This is really, really important for right now, so take this key truth with you and, and apply it, please. And hopefully, I'll be able to come and talk face-to-face with you soon. In the Greek, it, it says mouth-to-mouth, but uh, we get what he means, right? It, he says, I, I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face right there with you. I want to be in person when we talk about these other things. What things? Everything else. Do you think he had just a bullet point list of like five things he wanted to talk about or... Was it not really like that? It probably wasn't like that, was it? It was, I want to be face-to-face with you. Why? So that we can talk together, so that we can have a conversation, so that I can know how you're doing, you can know how I'm doing, and we can have this uh, intimate relationship with one another that we can't have simply by writing a letter, right? Because I don't want to just use paper and ink, but instead I hope to come to you and talk face-to-face. Why? What would be the result of that? Rather than writing with paper and ink, I want to come and talk face to face so that our joy might be made complete. In other words, there is something that paper and ink could not supply. And what is that? A fullness of joy was the result. The question for us is, what is it that paper and ink could not supply that he needed to be there face to face in order for them to have a fullness of joy? Because it's something that we should not be lacking in. Because if we're lacking in this particular thing, guess what we're also lacking in? A fullness of joy. And if I were to ask each of you, do you want a fullness of joy in your Christian life? Which is your life, by the way. You don't even need to qualify it as a Christian life. It is your life. Do you want a fullness of joy in your life? You say, yes, most definitely. You know, unless there's a sarcastic little skeptic out there that says no. Just let me be miserable. That probably would have been me at one point in time, actually. Yes, so just let me be miserable. We want a fullness of joy, don't we? We should hear what John has to say because there is something, I'll say it again, that paper and ink cannot supply. That if he comes and he's with them face to face, it will provide something that will make a fullness of joy. The fullness of joy, or make your joy complete. I say fullness of joy because the word for complete means to fill up. It means to bring to a full level. So a fulfilled joy, that's what it means. A joy that has been filled all the way up. Is that the kind of joy you want? I want a joy that's all the way full. But should I seek my joy? Well, that's kind of tricky. It actually leads us to a few questions. But before we get to that, as we're talking about the fact that there is something that paper and ink cannot supply, we would probably say right. We need to immediately take this and contextualize it for our sake because there is something that disembodied communication cannot supply to you. And maybe you'll understand what I mean by that in just a second. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we all know. But let me just read it for you. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. You can do that with paper and ink, right? Not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some. Can you do that with paper and ink? But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is something about the assembling and the gathering together of God's people that paper and ink cannot supply. Do you know this to be true in your own life? When you are not with the people of God, do you know, you know, whether you want to admit it in the moment or not, there is something that's not being supplied to me. There is something that I don't have when I'm not with the people of God that I can try to manufacture it. I can try to get it at home. And how do I try to get it at home? How do the masses try to get it at home? Through new forms of communication, through digital media. This is our new paper and ink. Digital media is our new paper and ink, and there is something that the digital media cannot supply you. There is something that digital media cannot supply you. It is not a replacement for the gathering of God's people face-to-face. And it will never be. You cannot replace the gathering of God's people. There are some of you, I know, because I'm one of them, so there are some of us, who would say, I don't, I don't, I don't always appreciate, you know, like the face-to-face stuff, I you know, the gathering of the people, all the people, you know, the social anxiety that involves, you know, all that kind of stuff and having to have difficult conversations with people or seeing people having to talk about that. It just, let me come in and sit in my seat, please, and leave me alone until it's time to go and then I'll hit the doors when it's over and please, let me be. We are functionally trying to do what digital media and pen and paper do Just because you sit in a seat here in the assembled body doesn't mean that you're properly assembling in the body. If you come and you sit and speak to no one, you're missing out. And it's not just simply a choice. It's actually you're neglecting to do something that Scripture says to do. When you meet, Don't neglect to meet together. Do you think he means, well, just come in reluctantly and sit with a crowd of people and then go home when it's done and you say, fine, I did it, okay? I met, I gathered with the people, so leave me alone already. Do you think that's what he means? But is there something to the gathering that should be present that you should be participating in, that we should all be participating in? Yes. Can we all admit that it sometimes is difficult for us to participate in what we should be participating in together. Can we admit that? Because that's honest. Because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's so difficult that you don't come all together. Right? So, what do we do about this? That there is something that paper and ink cannot supply. There is something that communication alone, without being in a gathering, cannot supply. There is something about being together that we need. For what? for a fullness of joy. It's for joy, but yet it's also out of obedience. It's amazing how if you would simply be obedient, that God supplies joy in your obedience. That's amazing. He doesn't just say, be obedient already, and you'll trudge through it, and you'll live your miserable life on this earth, and then, well, at least I was obedient. But no, actually, God supplies joy to our obedience. Isn't that amazing? that if we would simply be obedient, that God supplies joy. How much joy? A fullness of joy. A completed joy. That's the kind of joy we want, right? 
Is this all about us? No. Do we want to do what God has asked? Yes. And when we are obedient, guess what we get? Joy. It all works together, right? So that being said, as I, as I said, I want, I want to make some, some modern equivalent here before we kind of work through some, some thoughts. Is There's a particular church who boasts of 70,000 attendees each week in the U.S. And the vast majority of those attendees are where? Online. They have online members. Most of whom, they do not even know their name. It doesn't matter. They're just a number. They're just a figure. We have 70,000 people joined us either in person or online this week. Look at the impact we're having. There's another church that boasts of 40,000, another 39,000, another 25,000, all churches you have heard of. And the vast majority of those who attend and who are part of those services are online. Here's something else. You know how I like statistics and figures and studies. They're not always 100% reliable, but they're, they're indicators, right? 33% of Christians, according to Pew Research, attend their church regularly in person. 33% of Christians say that they attend their church regularly in person. 74% of Christians, and I know those numbers don't add up, but it's because there's overlap. 74% of Christians say they primarily attend their church online. 74% of those who call themselves Christians in the U.S., according to last year's figures, primarily attend their church online. 50% of Christians who used to attend in person only now only watch online. 50%. But think of how, how things have been working post-COVID, because that's the world we live in, just need to admit it. How is our world operating? How many of you now are taking advantage of these interaction-free environments, like at Walmart or at Domino's Pickup, where they say, you, well, you don't even have to touch anybody or talk to anybody. Just cover yourself up completely and unlock your door and hide yourself. We'll put your stuff in your car and then we'll shut it and then we'll walk away. You don't have to see us. You don't have to talk to us. You don't have to touch us. We totally, human interaction is gone. And, uh, and now it has become commonplace. So commonplace that it's even commonplace in our churches. You can avoid contact with people altogether. You don't even have to see anybody. You don't even have to hug anybody. Don't even have to shake anybody's hand. You don't have to be there. You don't have to be a part of those awkward conversations. You can, all of it gone. Imagine that world. Yes, and I never have to see that person again. And I'm still going to church so I can still feel good about myself. Do we see the problem? But also do we see how this is affecting the masses? This, this is not small numbers. These are big numbers. So for us, for all of you who are in this room, you are regularly participating in the physical gathering of the church and I'm so thankful that you are because what you also know is that there is something that paper and ink cannot supply you. There is something that watching a sermon online cannot supply you. 
church service is not the sermon. It is something more than the sermon. It is not something less than the sermon, but it is something more than the sermon. So when we simply watch a sermon, have we gathered as the people of God? No. So you've not been obedient to that if if watching a sermon online is all you've done. What if I watch the whole service online? Have you gathered with the people of God? Well, digitally I did. Is that the same? What I'm trying to tell you and convince you of and And I hope today when you leave that you will see that there is something that all this cannot supply you that you need. That you need to be obedient to the Lord, even in the difficult times you need it. But also there is a joy that you're missing should we leave it out. I am also telling you this, is that if you have not been tempted by this reality yet, then just wait because you will be. Because just as online home jobs have gotten more prevalent, right? There's a lot of people working remotely now that didn't before. Uh, There's a lot of stuff happening online now that didn't exist online before. Try to find an online work from home job five years ago. Not happening. Try to find one now. You can. They're all over the place. Why is that? You don't even have to see the people you work with anymore. You know, it's, we're completely removed from people. Um, this is not how the church is to be ever. There is far greater risk at not gathering as the people of God spiritually than physically. What I mean by that is, is there a risk of someone getting sick when you gather together as the people of God? Yes, there has always been that risk. There's always been that risk. There is a greater risk to us if we neglect the gathering together spiritually you might get sick, but that is not, a great as, not as great as the spiritual threat to you without gathering with the people of God. So this is the world we live in and certain things that we really have to work through together. Because although I say this and although I see so many people giving the affirmative to this and saying, yes, I agree with that, you realize though that so many people would disagree. So many people would disagree. We can have church the way we want to have it. Now, that being said, we're, we're, we're about to transition here. Just, this is all my introduction. Just hang with me. We're, we are broadcasting our service live right now in this moment. And so I imagine there are a few people watching it. There always are. Why do we do that then? If we want to encourage the in-person gathering, why do we even have our services online? Well, I'll just give you three brief reasons, okay? Because I don't want to seem as though I'm a walking contradiction. First reason, there are some people who couldn't be here today, couldn't be here today, just as you have not been able to be here before. You just couldn't. There's something happening. You're out of town, you're sick, something with your schedule, work, something happened where you couldn't be here. And aren't you glad that you were at least able to be part of the service online? Was it a replacement? Was it the same? There's something that that can't provide. Second reason being, um, there are people who are looking for a church that is a Bible teaching, uh, believing, faithful church. And this is a great way to show them who we are. And we want to provide that for people who are searching. And what is the primary way people search for a church? Online. Right? Third reason. 
Third reason is because many of you go back and rewatch our services and our teachings and uh, maybe something you weren't able to be there before or something we did in the past, you want to go back and you look at it, right? So there are at least three reasons that we stream our service and none of them are a replacement for our in-person gathering. Okay? Moving on. I want to give you a summary statement on the screen today of our text, and what we're going to do is we're going to work through this summary statement in our time remaining this morning. And so here it is. God desires our fullness of joy. Full sentence. Our joy is found in God alone by faith in Christ and in the power of the Spirit. The fullness of our joy comes from complete dependence, gratefulness, and obedience to Him as we desire and pursue this same joy in all of God's children. Okay, so I just want to work through that a little bit this morning. Because at face value, what is being said by John is, is plain enough to us, isn't it? What he's trying to say. What implications might that have for us this morning? The first is this. Let's look at it. God desires our fullness of joy. Three, three passages. A little bit of a systematic treatment of this this morning. I think you're probably okay with that. God desires our fullness of joy. Is that true? Does God desire your fullness of joy? Does he want his children joyful? If you didn't know that, the answer is yes. If you have heard me talk about the me I once was, you know that this has, as a Christian, been my primary struggle, joy. Joy. Not that I'm, I don't, I don't have any joy. I definitely have joy. But a fullness of joy. God wants that for me. I don't deserve to be joyful. That's, that's the struggle for me. It's almost a guilty joy. Should you have that? Your God has given you joy. Take it. He wants you to be joyful. Take it. But what kind of joy? What does that look like? Any kind of joy? Let's just look at uh, three brief, brief texts here. Deuteronomy 28, 45 through 48. What does it say? All, yeah, by the way, context here. Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy, the law, second law, right? A, a second giving of the law, right? And so it's like what's being said here. These are the blessings and curses that came with the old covenant, right? Uh, so listen, just listen to what it says. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. And they shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. There's the reason. Just wait. I promise the joy part's coming. What's being said here so far is I'm, I'm entering into a covenant with you and I'm just warning you beforehand that if you don't follow my rules and my commandments, and my statutes, uh, there are curses coming upon you. So we're already given the reason why, but listen to this next part. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Did you see that? Curses coming upon you because you had a lack of joy in service to your God. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Does God want you to have a fullness of joy? Yes. He wants you to have a fullness of joy. Isaiah 35.10, All the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. As a believer, we understand what this means, don't we? Because we taste it. We feel it in part. Things that should be sorrowful and devastating to us seem to fly away, don't they? Sometimes they take a little bit longer to fly away. But they fly away, don't they? Because we know what it is for our heart to be relieved of suffering. Because no matter what the world can do to me or my body or whatever it may be, there is something better yet coming for me. I am free from all of this and I can have joy forever because God has promised something better for me. So we get this, don't we? Romans 15, 13, and we'll move on to the next part. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you think that Paul was praying for something that God did not desire for them to have? What did he pray that they might have? All joy. You see it? Pretty plain, isn't it? God wants you to have joy. How or in what should we have joy? Well, that's the next part. Let's look at, back at our definition here, or our summary. God, uh, uh, God desires our fullness of joy. We got that. Our joy is found in God alone by faith in Christ. We'll stop right there. Our joy is found in God alone by faith in Christ. Just a few passages here, and uh, many of them are just single verses, but you'll get the idea very quickly. Listen to this. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Do you see it? Where is our joy to be found primarily? In him. Where is your joy to be found? In God himself. In God's presence, there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've talked about the context of that and what it actually means, but the point we're making right now is, what should you do? Delight yourself in him. Take joy in the Lord. Do you delight yourself in him? Or do we find other things to delight ourselves with and we recognize quickly that they're so fleeting? I try to delight myself in something and oh, it's gone. I try to get joy out of this thing and oh, where did it go? And we get so defeated and frustrated by that, don't we? But if our joy is in something greater, we will actually have a fullness of joy that there's no substitute for. Psalm 43, 4, Then I will go to the altar of God to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. God is our exceeding joy. You get the idea of this fullness that there is? My cup overflows. We understand that, don't we? Everything I could ever want and more is found in God himself. Is God your joy? Or how about Philippians? Did we talk about joy when we were in Philippians? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. You should be taking joy out of the Lord. John 16.22-24, you have sorrow now, but I'm going to see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, 
no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What? Actually, that's a cause for joy, isn't it? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive in order that your joy may be full. Do you see the joy that there is in Christ? Do you see the joy that there is found in God himself alone? Let me tell you something. If you're seeking this fullness of joy, this fullness of heart in anything other than him, you are going to be disappointed and frustrated. In your family, in your spouse, in your church, in your pastor, don't put it there. You're going to be so disappointed and frustrated. Where is this joy that I'm supposed to have? It's in him. Your joy is in him. John 17, 13, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that you may have my joy fulfilled in yourselves. And then John 17, 13 in the high priestly prayer, I'm coming to you. Oh, excuse me, I just, I just read that, didn't I? Here's what I want, Habakkuk 3, 17. Oh, this is good. Write this down. If you're taking notes, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. I had kind of a redundancy in my notes. I didn't realize it. Yeah, so write this reference down. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Listen to what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, by the way, for them is a big deal, and no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fails. The fields yield no food. The flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Guys, this is bad news for them. They don't have grocery stores. And here's what it says. In all that, in all of this being stripped away, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I wonder, have you experienced a season of stripping away of these things that you find joy in? And yet all of them be stripped away can you say what is being said in Habakkuk 3, that although all these things are stripped where I generally find joy, can you say in your heart, yet I will rejoice. I have joy in the God of my salvation. You can't take it from me. Nothing can strip that away from me. I have that forever. That is a joy that lasts. Okay, but not only is it found here, is that so God desires our fullness of joy. That's fundamental. That's foundational. We have to know that. But our joy is found in God alone by faith in Christ. How? In the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that part too. This is not something that we manufacture in ourselves, but it's actually something God himself supplies. God gives you joy. And this is amazing how much God's desire for his children to be joyful and then yet he provides the means for you to find joy and then actually by his spirit is making you joyful. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you know that you shouldn't be joyful and yet you are? You have a peace and a hope and a joy that goes through your circumstances and for whatever reason, I'm having hope and joy in this situation. I don't know why. That's amazing, isn't it? God actually produces something in you by his spirit. Just a couple of references here because you know them. I know that we do. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy. 
Where does it come from? From the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 Be imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You receive the word of God with much affliction. It wasn't easy. And at the same time, simultaneously, there was affliction and joy. How can joy and affliction exist together? But they can. And you understand it, don't you? You get why affliction and joy can exist together because we experience it all the time as believers with the Spirit of God in us. And then finally, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's good. Something that God supplies. But then this, our fullness of joy, this fullness comes from complete dependence, gratefulness, and obedience to him. You see, there is something that your joy will be lacking if you simply look up and you see God and you say, well, I've been disobedient today. I've been unfaithful today. My life is a wreck today, but at least I have God. There's something else, isn't there? Because you know that, although we're certainly going to have days like that, right? There is a fullness of joy that comes from our complete dependence. Do you ever have times when you're not completely dependent on the Lord? Sure. Are there ever times when you're not grateful to the Lord? Sure. Are there ever times when you're not obedient to him? Yes. Do you know that there's a fullness of joy for us when we are completely dependent on him, that we are grateful for him and all that he's done, and when we are obedient to him? Do you know there's a joy in that? And there's a joy that's lacking, that's not filling up for you if we neglect these things. John 15, 8 through 11. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So just what's been said so far is I love you and if you love me, you're going to do what I've said. You're going to be obedient. You're going to produce fruit that proves you're my disciple. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So do you see the obedience and the fullness of joy that work together hand in hand? I have spoken these things to you so that you might have my joy and that it might be full. I've spoken to you that you should be obedient and bear fruit and prove to be my disciple because there is joy that comes with that. Or 1 John 1, 4. We are writing these things to you, all these instructions and warnings, so that our joy may be made complete. Or Philippians 1, 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Is there joy without progress in the faith? Progress and joy work together hand in hand. Progress in the faith is obedience, understanding, and there is joy in that. Have you had a season of time where your joy in the Christian life has maybe been lacking? I can almost guarantee evaluate your life and I bet you your progress in your salvation has also been lacking because with progress in your faith comes joy 
and there will be no progress in your faith without conviction of sin. That is why being convicted of sin is such a blessing to God's church. Because we are convicted of sin, we are brought to repentance and confession, and then we are pushed forward in our sanctification, and guess what happens in our progress in our faith? Joy. But finally, and really John's emphasis, okay, is all this is true. All of what has been said is true, but tag this on the end. As we desire and pursue this same joy in all of God's children. As we desire and pursue this same joy in all of God's children. In other words, our joy will not find its fullness out of our active pursuit of God's children experiencing fullness of joy. Do you have an active part in pursuing other believers' joy in Christ? What does that look like and what do you mean by that? John wanted to meet with them face to face in order that their joy would be made full or complete. He knew that there was some... Did you notice it says our joy? Now, if you have an NASB, it might say your joy. That's a textual variant. Primarily says our, okay? So anyway, what's being said is that if we do this, our joy will be made full. That is a fullness of joy for John and a fullness of joy for the entire church. Do you see it? How's all that going to happen? If I come to you and we talk about these things in person, if we pursue each other's joy and obedience in Christ together, there is a fullness of joy that paper and ink cannot supply. You get it? So as we, all this is true, all this is true, what's been said so far, but we have to have this last part. As we desire and pursue this same joy in God's children. So in other words, the fullness, the filling up of your joy is not there if you are not pursuing and desiring this same joy in all of God's children. And that would mean primarily your church because this is the local manifestation of God's church. So pursuing obedience to the Lord and this joy in one another. So all of a sudden, it it is outside of ourselves. So let me just read a couple of these, okay? I see some of you jotting them down for reference. I'm glad you're doing that. Proverbs 18.1, listen to this one. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Have you ever isolated yourself? Come on. Scripture says about that, by the way, what you might say if you're trying to be smart about it, well, Jesus isolated himself. What do you say about that? Isolated himself all the time for prayer. So what does this mean then in context? If you isolate yourself seeking your own desire, you break out against all sound judgment. In other words, you're isolating yourself because you're thinking about yourself. Now, if you isolate yourself for prayer, that's a good thing because who are you thinking about? Thinking about the Lord, thinking about his desires, thinking about what he wants you to do, right? You see how that's different? So if you isolate yourself from the people of God, you say, I don't want any part of that. Give me the online church so I don't have to see anybody, talk to anybody, touch anybody. Nobody holds me accountable in this life. No one even knows that I'm there. I'm I'm anonymous. I'm an anonymous number watching the service. That's, please give me that life. That's the life I want. You break out against all sound judgment if that's what you do. 
But we all have times that we want that, but we have to fight against it, okay? We have to fight against that because it's not what God requires of us. It's not what God is asking of us. It's not what he wants for our obedience. This is not what he wants. And there is actually a fullness of your joy missing when you do that. Philippians 1, 3 through 7, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on about this same concept, but what is Paul saying? I thank God with joy when I think about the progress you're making and as I pray for you. Do you see Paul's heart for the church that they might have this same joy, that they might be obedient, that they might have a desire for God the way he does? So when, when Paul sees other people being obedient to God, it gives him joy. And it gives him so much joy, he wants to pray that they would be more obedient because it gives him more joy. So the more obedience you have, the more joy I have. So I want to help you. I want you to be obedient for your joy and for mine that our joy might be made complete. Do you see it? There's there's an active part of us pursuing the joy of one another in obedience. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. In other words, if you're not obedient in this, it hurts my heart. And it takes away my joy because I see that you're not walking in the truth. It hurts me. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and 20, For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before the Lord? Is it not this? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Talking about the people of the church. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, that you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake? before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Did you hear all that? All that was bringing together this whole context of there is joy to be found, but there is also progress to be found. But I want to play an active role in your life for your obedience to God because it's going to increase your joy and mine and God desires our joy in him. Just a couple of more and we'll... We'll wrap this up this morning. I want to, as much as I can from the biblical witness, press this into your hearts and your minds this morning because what I want you to see is that this is not isolated. This is not some isolated biblical concept that is maybe, maybe, maybe relevant, maybe not be relevant, something I should be concerned with, something I should not be concerned with. No, it's everywhere. This is everywhere. And it's something that Many churches, and if we are not careful, we are completely missing the mark on. Let's go to 2 Corinthians one twenty four. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Do you hear it there too? Last one. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 4. Make room in your hearts for us, We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts. 
to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. And in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So do you see that there is an intimate relationship with the body of Christ so that when you suffer, I suffer. When you have joy, I have joy. When you have obedience, I have joy. When I have disobedience, you don't have that joy because we all long to see one another walking in obedience to the truth. And isn't that a community you want to be part of? Do you want the other people in this room so on your side that they are laboring over you in prayer because they want your obedience, because they want your joy, and they know that if we can just do this together, both of our joy would be fulfilled. We want joy. God desires our joy. Our joy should be found in him, and it certainly is as we walk in obedience together. But it's not just as you're removed from me. You have your thing and I have my thing and I'll come and I'll sit and I'll watch the service and then I'll go home. There, there is something that we're completely missing out on when we take church as something we do rather than something that we are. Church is not something that you attend. It is something that you are. I know we say I'm going to church but every morning you should wake up and say, I'm going to be the church today. I am being the church today. I'm going to love the church today. I'm going to pray for my church today. I'm going to support my church today. I'm going to have joy in my church today. Because my joy is ultimately rooted in God himself through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and God desires my joy. And I should be walking in obedience and gratefulness and dependence on him, yes, but only so far as I am pursuing this same joy in you. See, because I want you to have this same joy. So how does all this work together? Just bringing it together with some last final practical thoughts here, okay? How does all this work together? What I'm encouraging you to do as a church, what I'm encouraging myself to do, don't, don't miss that, is that when we gather together as the church, that we are truly gathering together as the church that functionally we are not gathering together as paper and ink Christians because there is something that that alone cannot supply. A disembodied voice, a disembodied teaching, a disembodied church service. There, is, there are many things that that cannot supply. It cannot supply more than we have time to talk about this morning. But what John is saying is that there is a fullness of joy for all of us that we should be pursuing. So what, what, what should we do then? is that we should be in intimate relationships with one another, talking to one another, being next to one another, not being afraid of communication with one another. Because I know, some of you more than others, but I just have to say I know that there is a temptation to have a wall up. Just don't ask me about that. I don't want people to be asking me questions today. I don't want to get involved. I don't want them to know about my life. I don't want them to see maybe for who I am. I don't want to break people's expectations. I'm nervous about people knowing who I am. I'm not sure what it is for you. Maybe you just don't like people. Maybe you're just not, you know, extroverted. Maybe you just don't enjoy conversation with people. None of that matters. None of it matters. You need to be having intimate relationships with people in this building, and you know what? I can't do it for you. So 
when we come together, first of all, be here. Second, when you are here, engage with people. I understand sometimes you have things to do. You got to go, you got places to be. Well, maybe free up your schedule after Sunday service so that you don't have something scheduled right after church so that you can actually talk to people. Talking to people, talking to God's children, knowing who they are, praying for them, let them pray for you. There is joy to be found, I promise you, because there is obedience in that. So I'm encouraging you. There are new faces in this room that you might not even know their names. I'm encouraging you, please, talk to one another face-to-face and see the joy that there is in that obedience. Let's pray.